0: Let me tell you a little holiday story. As we enter the era of the post-holiday magic and people are looking for diets to lose weight on, I don't want you to lose sight of science. This is the story previously aired about the first vitamin. I was hijacked. Not on a plane, but on the way back from visiting the Great Wall of China. Our tour bus had this unscheduled stop at the Chinese Traditional Medicine Academy. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? Our tour guide said that this was a free evaluation to help us learn about Chinese medicine. And, by the way, wouldn't we all be interested in longevity? Of all people, me. There, I heard these doctors, and I put that in quotes, attempt to convince us about Eastern medicine. And how that they have cures that Western medicine just doesn't have. You've probably heard that before, haven't you? They said they had these special teas from Tibet. And I saw them sell these cures to other tourists on the bus. They sell this nonsense based on what we call the logical fallacy of antiquity. If it's ancient, it must be good. It's been tested for years. It has to be real. But actually, none of these things have really been tested. And just to be clear, there are no secret cures that are found in one part of the world that are not immediately available to doctors in another part of the world because we have this thing. It's called the World Wide Web. But you know what I wanted to tell them? I mean, you can imagine. But I really wanted to tell them about this Japanese physician, a surgeon, who in the 1880s, a guy by the name of Takaki Kenohiro, used science, rejecting Eastern medicine, and laid the foundation for the first vitamin. He cured a disease that Eastern medicine had been unable to cure for over 300 years. Today, our story is about the first vitamin. I'm Dr. Terry Simpson, and this is Fork U, Fork University where we make sense of the madness, bust a few myths, and learn a little bit about food as medicine. (music) Takaki Kinaharo started to study medicine in Japan. He rejected Eastern medicine, and his mentor was a British expat who finally encouraged him to go to London to further his training because, as he told him, I've taught you everything I can. So in 1875, Kenaharo enrolled in King's College at St. Thomas Hospital, which is still located today, as it was then, across the Thames River from Big Ben. Kenaharo learned about the science of epidemiology, which was new. Epidemiology, by the way, is a science of tracking the incidence of disease. And it was developed just a 30-minute walk from his hospital. Developed by Dr. John Snow. Not, Not John Snow of the Game of Thrones. No, this one was a real doctor. He used, Snow that is, not the Game of Thrones guy, used the scientific method to discover the source of the cholera epidemic that killed 616 people in 1854. Snow proved that cholera came from contaminated water of a pumping station. In those days, there was no indoor plumbing, and people would have to get their daily water from a pump station, kind of like a water fountain in public. Snow noted that there were those who obtained their water from one particular pump station on Broad Street. These people all came down with cholera. And this was at odds with the current scientific thinking because many doctors felt that cholera came from the bad smells from the Thames River, or miasma, as they called it. But Snow, in his meticulous work, proved that it came from water, which had been unknowingly contaminated with the sewage. At that same time, in another part of Europe, another doctor discovered the bacteria responsible for cholera, and Snow's findings, which weren't immediately accepted, became accepted later. And by the time Kinaharu enrolled, epidemiology was an accepted science. And those scientific methods about how disease originates was the key to his future. After five years in London, Kenoharu's training was formally complete. He had distinguished himself as a student, and to this day his photograph is pictured among their distinguished alumni. He won numerous awards for his work, and he passed the surgery board exams on the very first try. Something rare in those days. It was time for him to go home to Japan. I'm going to return to our story shortly, but first I wanted to tell you about another podcast. If you like food, like I obviously do, then let me recommend Eat My Globe. It's a food history podcast narrated and researched by Food Network star, best-selling author Simon Majumdar. If you love food and the history of food, then I highly recommend you give a listen to Eat My Globe. Okay, where were we? That's right. Kinaharo had returned to Japan as an officer in the Navy, and the most pressing problem, medical problem, of the Imperial Navy of Japan was a disease called kakaki. In Kinaharo's time, it was responsible for more deaths in any war. And in spite of this being a problem for 300 years, traditional, or as we call it, Eastern medicine, had not cured this disease. And the symptoms of the disease were confusing. It started with difficulty walking, followed by swelling of the legs, speech would slow, then there was numbness and paralysis of the legs, and before death there was this random twitching and constant vomiting. Death almost always came from heart failure. The emperor's aunt had died from kakaki, and many members of the royal family, even the emperor himself, suffered from this on occasion, but he seemed to recover periodically. Kakaki affected the wealthy, not the poor, which is the opposite of many diseases. Kakaki was known as, quote, the Affliction of Tokyo. Unquote. And as a result, the emperor was willing to spend a lot of money attempting to find a cure for this dreaded disease. Kenohiro used epidemiologic methods, the ones he learned in London, to study Kakaki. In Tokyo, they felt that it was the dampness that caused this disease. In the Navy, they would believed it might be the clothing, or the climate, or camped quarters, or diet. But unlike the city, it was the poor crew of the ship, not the officers who were afflicted with this disease. Naval officers, as Kinoharu noted, ate more varieties of food, while lower-ranking crew members often only ate white, polished rice. White rice, you see, is what the wealthy in the city would eat. This polished white rice was considered a luxury. It was clean and pretty, and unlike brown rice would not go rancid. So it was considered healthy. Members of the elite and the royal family would eat this rice exclusively. This expensive white rice was considered a status symbol, and it was provided by the emperor for his army and navy as an appreciation for their service. But Kanaharo's hypothesis was that Diet was responsible for Kakaki, and when a naval vessel had returned after a long voyage with 169 members of the 376 crew with Kakaki and 25 deaths, he asked that the next ship follow the exact same route but be provisioned with a wider variety of foods. He had to convince the emperor, but the emperor was convinced, and he allowed more provisions, including bread, meat, vegetables. And when this ship returned to Japan after months at sea, they only had 14 mild cases of kakaki and no deaths. Compare that with the other ship that had 169 cases. This dietary change to a more well-rounded diet eliminated this disease. What they didn't know was that in processing the rice, they had removed the outer layers of grain that contained thiamine. That lack of thiamine, or vitamin B1, led to kakaki, or as the West calls it, beriberi. A few years later, on the Dutch colony of Java, the Dutch physician Christian Eichmann confirmed that brown rice had an ingredient that protected against beriberi. He named it the anti-beriberi factor, and this factor was later called thiamine. was finally formally isolated by a biochemist named Casimir Funk. And he called this chemical a vital amine, based on its chemistry. He later shortened that name to vitamin. And this first vitamin, or thiamine, or anti berry compound, is today known as vitamin B1. From the 1920s to the 1940s, nine Nobel Prizes Were awarded for the discovery, isolation, and biochemical pathways of various vitamins. Some call it the golden age of biochemistry. You may have heard of some of the diseases that were caused by vitamin deficiencies. Rickets from a lack of vitamin D. Pernicious anemia from a lack of vitamin B12. Scurvy from a lack of vitamin C. Pellegra from a lack of niacin or B3. All solved by science. Because maybe you haven't heard of some of those diseases. Today, in bread, cereals, and even infant formulas, and Uncle Ben's rice, they're all fortified with nutrients. In 1929, Eichmann won the Nobel Prize in medicine for his discovery of the anti berry factory, but Kinaharo had died in 1920. Had he lived, he would have shared that prize. The Nobel Prize is never given posthumously. But in his life, Kinaharo was well-recognized. He traveled the world giving lectures, including a visit to the United States, where he was made a member of the prestigious Surgical Society, nominated by his friend, William Mayo of the Mayo Clinic, whom Kinaharo had met all those years ago at St. Thomas Hospital in London. Kinaharo is also known as the father of medicine in Japan, bringing Japan away from the dark ages of Eastern medicine into the enlightening world of Western medicine. Eastern medicine couldn't solve beriberi or kakaki, just like Eastern medicine doesn't have a valid treatment for cancer or heart disease. Eastern medicine is at best ineffective, and at worst, a complete sham. Responsible for the near extinction of rhinoceroses and many species of sharks, whose ingredients they use as putative cures for diseases. One of the reasons you don't hear of diseases of malnutrition that used to ravage not only Japan and Asia but the United States is because we fortify foods with vitamins and encourage a balanced diet. All came from a Japanese surgeon who rejected Eastern medicine, embraced the scientific method, leading to the amazing discovery that food can be medicine. On a scale of one to five, where one is a food con and five is science, Eastern medicine is a one, pure con. Vitamins, they're a solid five. Please see the blog associated with a podcast. It's available at yourdoctorsorders.com or 4Q.com. 4Q was written by me, Dr. Terry Simpson. And while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. If you need to see a doctor... We see a real board-certified Western physician, not an Eastern medicine physician, not a functional medicine physician, not a chiropractor, but a real doctor, and certainly not take advice from a shirtless salesman of supplements and scams, those who want to take vitamins as their own, not realizing that vitamins actually have a tremendous science behind them and a lot of surgeons behind their discovery. 4Q is produced and distributed by our friends at Simpler Media, Miss Alley Press. And my good friend, the pod god, Mr. Evo Terra. All right, Evo. Now that we're on the diet season, I think we should go out and get something good for our diet. What do you think about the hamburger, french fries, and milkshake? Are you up for it? Actually, my doctor, a real doctor, cardiologist, says I gotta lay off the milkshakes and the hamburgers. Pesky science.